Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook, both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McCain. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message. We titled the teaching here, Heaven's House Party. Would you say that with me? Heaven's House Party. You can do better than that. Say, Heaven's House Party. And this is part two of Heaven's House Party. We started last week, and uh, we started with this key scripture. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 15 and verse 10? Luke chapter 15 and verse 10. This is kind of the premise of what we're thinking and what we feel like God's saying, especially in this hour. And this is Jesus speaking, and he's just got finished telling two parables about lost coins and lost sheep. And how the person with the lost sheep, he'll leave all of his other sheep and go find that one. Or that woman who lost the coin, uh, one coin out of her ten coins. She'll do whatever she can to find that one coin. And then he, he moves on and says it like this. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Here's how the paraphrased message version says it. It says, count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. I picture in my mind that every time one person, uh, it doesn't even mean thousands and millions, but when one man, one woman turn their heart back to God or come and give themselves to Jesus and become a Christian, the Bible says that the angels throw a party. They go crazy. And I picture in my mind this last year, I don't know uh, if you have a favorite sports team, but uh, we're from Louisiana. So LSU, the greatest university on the planet, uh, LSU was playing for the national championship. And I promise you, I had a bunch of people over and no one was allowed to talk the whole time. They started, and we're all focused in, right? And, uh, And then all of a sudden, when that last moment clicked off the clock and we won, we went crazy. Yes! And you got to give us a little bit of grace. We hadn't won one in a long time, okay? So, and just that scene of being so stoked because our team won. That's what I picture is happening in heaven. When one person turns their heart back to God, when one person who didn't know who God was comes and bows their knees and accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Bible says that the angels throw a party. All of heaven begins to rejoice and get excited. Can I just maybe add to that? They don't throw a party when you and I get a raise at work. God's happy, and he cares for us, and he loves us. And, 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 and it doesn't say anywhere in Scripture that they throw a party uh, the moment that you, you finally, you know, uh, got that new car, or that moment that, that your kid finally, you know, graduated college or something like that. They don't throw a party. God's happy about that. He loves us. He's concerned about the little most details of our life. But heaven, I believe, sits on the edge of its seat wondering, is she going to come? Is she going to get right with God today? Is it going to happen? And you just like when you're watching your favorite sports team, oh, my goodness, don't mess this up. Oh, I didn't mess it up. Okay, come on. That's right. We can get it back. We can get it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go crazy when one sinner repents. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to the planet to start orphanages. He didn't come to the planet to feed the hungry. He came to the planet to seek and save that which is lost because there's an eternal perspective that many times we don't remember and that is when men and women die they'll either go to heaven or they'll go to hell and God would that none should perish but all have eternal life Jesus came and sacrificed his life not to start orphanages because we get right with God and because we love hurting people we begin to help and start orphanages but those are means to an end the entire goal is that sinners would turn and not spend eternity separated from the living God that's why Jesus lived the way he lived that's why he died the way he died so 
so that you and I could have a way back to the Father. We were stolen. We were stolen from God the Father in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. And sin has permeated the humanity from that point forward, separating it from God. But God said, I will fix it. I'll send my only son. He'll die on a cross and he'll make a bridge back to me. And whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's why the angels wait, wait patiently to see, is she going to change? Is, that, is this going to be the moment? Is she going to turn her heart back? Is he going to finally repent? And when they do, they go crazy because they know Forever and ever and ever, that soul will be safe with the Father. This is the motivation of heaven. This is the goal of Jesus' life on the planet, was to seek and save that which is lost, to return the sinner that was stolen from God back to the Father. As Christians, as followers of the living God, I believe it's our role to help heaven have a house party. I believe it's our role to help come alongside what Jesus started and to seek and save those which are lost and see them know the living God. In fact, I think it's shameful that we many times never, ever, ever show that same love to hurting people around us. So with that being said, I want to give you four, or, uh, yeah, four things that causes a lost soul to turn to God. Now, take notes today, those online, take notes. What, what's going to cause a lost soul to turn to God. Well, what caused you to turn back to God? Maybe you grew up in a Christian home, and so, so you didn't necessarily have this big turning, but what you had was a big keeping. And so I want to teach you how God uses, what he says in Scripture, how he turns people's lives back around and uses us to do it. The first thing that I see in Scripture is that their eyes are opened to truth. Their eyes are opened to truth. I don't know about you, but I can remember not understanding truth, not, uh, not knowing that there was a truth. And then, and then one day, my eyes were open. They were open. I want you to understand God is working on revealing truth to all of humanity. It's whether or not their eyes will see it, if their ears will hear it. And here's what the Holy Scripture says. And there, uh, There's a couple key things that I always try to teach people about truth. And the first truth is, you're going to die. You're going to die. Whether you like it or not, you're going to die. And after you die, you got to face the judgment. In fact, look what Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face the judgment. So I'm always talking to people. You know, I was talking to a person not so long ago who was not a believer, didn't believe in Jesus. And I asked them, so, so that's all great. And they had all these high thinkings that they had gotten from their years and years of education and their degree work, boom, 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 boom. And, then, and so I just, that was all great. And I just asked them, I said, so what happens when you die? Well, your existence and your essence and all that. And I, and I looked at him and said, boy, it takes a lot more faith to believe that than what I believe. And that is we have a great creator who loves us. We're created in his image. And he's put a homing device in our heart. That's why while I'm speaking to you, something's stirring inside of your heart. And I begin to literally prophesy to this person. They got all antsy. Man, what am I feeling right now? I said, what you're feeling it's the king of glory who created you, who wants you back. And all the lies that you've studied and all the opinions of men, they don't make any sense when it comes in light of death. When you die, what will happen, bro? And let me tell you what will happen. The Bible says, then you'll stand before the judgment seat. And you'll, he'll separate the sheep from the goat. In fact, look what the Bible says and what that looks like in Romans chapter 2 and verse 6, talking about the judgment to come. He says, and God will give, uh, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Verse 7, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. 
And so I have to I always try to just tell them, whether they accept the truth or not, I'm always trying to give them that truth. You need to understand, you will die, and you will stand before God. It doesn't matter what the church did to you. It doesn't matter that you were mad that so-and-so did you dirty, who was a preacher person or whatever. You're going to stand before the living God, and he's going to say, what does that have to do with you and me? Well, you just don't know what I went through. God's going to say, yes, I do. But what does that have to do with you and me? You're angry at somebody that, that I'm going to deal with over here. But what about you and me? And when people don't know the truth of that, then what happens is they continue to live a life that's a lie. But when truth is revealed, something happens to them. The Apostle Paul thought that Christianity, Christianity was a threat to Judaism. He thought that following Jesus Christ was a cult. And so he committed his life to destroy that cult called Christianity, or the way in his time. And he went about trying to destroy it, putting them in prison, trying to have them killed. Till one day, as he's on a road to Damascus with his, with his companions, it says that a great light shine under heaven. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wow, and he falls to the ground. And he cries out, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus Christ, who you've been persecuting. What are you doing? And in that moment, truth came to him. And he turned everything around. And you know him as the Apostle Paul who wrote much, much excuse me, of your New Testament. That man came into a, re a wrecking ball reality with truth. I don't know about you, but I remember when I came into that wrecking ball reality with truth and realized, whoa, what am I doing? What is this? Where will this all lead? I remember being a young person thinking, so if I do this, if I go, if I go, if I go have sex with all these people and, and, I, and, I, and I live this life and I get the big house and I, and I get a boat and I get this and I get this, then what will happen? Well, then I'll get this, this, and this, but then I'll go through this, this, and then what? And I kept asking myself, then what? It was like how truth began to work in me. Then what? Then what? Then I'll die. And what will I do with all that? Well, I just won't have any. It'll be over. And then what will happen? It was the, and then what, that led me to an understanding. I am not going to waste my life. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. And I'm going to serve him with every part of my being. And that's that first big awakening that happened. Here's the second thing that causes a sinner to turn to God. And that is when they're provoked by God's love. Provoked by God's love. How many of you have been provoked by God's love? He loved me so much that I had to do something. I felt his love so I just had to do something. I couldn't live like this anymore. I was provoked by his love. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you get that? God demonstrated his love for you that you, weren't even, you didn't even care about him, and he still loved you. He was chasing after you, and you didn't even know it. He was watching after you, even though you had turned your nose up to him, even though you had no relationship with him, nor did you want one, because you were living in the lie of sin. Why we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, some of you have this thought, I'll, get, I'll do better one day, and then I'll go to church. I'll do better one day, then I'll be a Christian. Friend, if you could be better, you wouldn't have needed Jesus. If you could have been good in and of your own self, you would not, have, you would not need a Savior. The, the reason why we need a Savior is because sin is abiding in us from birth. The sin nature is natural. It's natural to sin. It's not natural to live righteous and serve the Lord our God. He comes inside of our life, pours out his Holy Spirit, who then gives us strength to walk righteously. Because you can't do it in and of your own self. 
In fact, the Apostle Paul, he loved the Jewish people. The Apostle Paul was a Jew, and he loved his Jewish people. But just like he came out of Judaism to follow the way, to follow Jesus, all of the men and women, all the people that he had been running with began to hate him because he turned sides, if you will. And he loved them so much, and he was constantly trying to love on them, but they began to hate him, and they tried to kill him. In Damascus, in multiple places, the Jews tried to kill him because he was preaching that Jesus was the way, and that they didn't need to live like this anymore, and it infuriated them, and they wanted to kill him. But God then said, okay, Paul, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you preach and minister to the non-Jews, all the people who don't, who don't have Jewish backgrounds, they don't know the Torah, they don't know the way, uh, the way of my people Israel, I'm going to have you minister to them. And people started getting saved. The Gentiles, as the Bible calls them, the non-Jews, they started getting saved. They started having miracles. They started seeing blind eyes open. And they were like, this God, the one true God, we were worshiping the sun God, and he never did anything for us, and we found the one true God through Jesus Christ, his son. And these miracles started happening and there became a church called the Antioch church and it was Jews and that had converted and it was Gentiles who had come together you talk about two prejudiced groups coming together and miracles were happening and the apostle Paul and Barnabas was ministering to these guys in, in Antioch and then God sent him out to start planting churches all around and these Gentile Christians began to just explode and so Paul in correcting them because they began to say see the Jewish God has abandoned the Jewish people he's for us only those of us who follow Christ and Paul's like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that to your big brother. Don't, don't say that. And look what he says in reference to that in Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. So he's saying, don't say all that. He said, I'm saying all this, especially for you Gentiles. God has appointed me the apostle to the Gentiles. And I stress this, for I want it somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have so that I might save some of them. How are we going to save some of them? Listen, when they see how good God's been to you, that's going to make them jealous. When they see how much God keeps pouring out his love and they're doing these acts of re dead religion and it's not getting them anyway. And they're going and they're doing all these acts of dead religion, lighting candles and all this kind of stuff. And it's not getting them anywhere because they don't have the genuine love relationship. When they see what you have and the love that God the Father is pouring out on you through Jesus Christ, his son, they're going to look up and go, mm, what am I doing? I want that right there. I don't know about you, but it was that kind of jealous provocation, uh, provoking in me when I saw how the Christian, they didn't seem to worry like I worried. In my dark times where I thought about walking away from God, I would notice those men and women who've been saved for so many years and they just, they were full of confidence. It didn't matter what was coming. There was old mamas in the faith. Anybody got some old mamas in the faith? Oh, baby, it'd be all right. Baby, it'd be all right. You just don't worry about it. But the world, the, the president's Satan, and this is Satan, and everything's Satan, and the people are Satan. Oh, baby, it'd be all right. Jesus, God is right there in the palm of his hand. It'd be all right. But we ain't got no jobs. Oh, baby, this is all right. That confidence that comes from that love relationship with the Father Oh, friend, if that doesn't provoke you to change, I don't know what will. He said, so that we may save some. See, you understand these first two points, truth and love. See, truth and love is how God really works in people. It's how he wants you to work with people. See, I, I, love, this, I love this old quote by uh, Warren Worsby. He said it like this, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. He just said, true, 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 truth, no love. It's brutality. He's just beating on people. Love you, love you. It's okay. Just keep your sin going. It's okay. No, that's hypocrisy. Yeah. Truth and love come together to transform lives. Good. Lives 
that will forever touch others. Oh, I'm calling out to our congregation today. I'm calling out to you guys that are online with us. It's time to be truth and life, love to a hurting generation. See, I believe with all of my heart, the Bible says it like this, that what Satan meant for evil, God will turn around for good. I believe that we're in the really one of the most difficult times we've been in in a long time. And I'm watching people just lose their mind and this, that, and the other, and I don't know. And I'm also watching the world, the non-Christians go, what's out there that's real? What's out there that's good? Everybody's fighting, this is right. No, this is right. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. It's time for the Christian to go, can I, can I share truth and love with you? Can I tell you? Can I tell you about the living Savior? Can I tell you about life and life forevermore? It doesn't matter. All this is just, all this is just foolishness. Because at the end of the day, we're going to die. And we're going to stand before the Father. He will separate the sheep from the goats. Can you imagine in that moment? Imagine that moment as the angels are looking at the ones that Jesus had been interceding for. And they just never would give themselves to him. Can you imagine the ones that they had, they had hoped and they had, they had maneuvered some things to, to get them in front of a truth moment and then they rejected it. And the angels are sitting there as they're being cast in eternal darkness. You don't understand that hell was not created originally for humanity. The Bible says it was created for Satan, Lucifer, and the fallen angels, the demons. And when Adam and Eve rebelled against the Father, sin entered into their life. That therefore marked them and destined them to a different pathway, to, a, to, a, to the road of hell. And when Jesus came, he said, let me, let, me give you a, let me give you a why in the road. You can come this way and go to heaven if you'll follow me. And so men and women are constantly coming to that why. And they either can choose Christ or they can continue to choose themselves and the wickedness that's inside of each and every one of us. That, that path that leads to hell and this path that leads to life. He's constantly giving us choices. But I feel like what happens many times is a Christian forgets about where we were at back in the day and how God was gracious to us. And we forget to love others and say, hey, hey, truth. Hey, the love of God, because we get caught up in the things of this world as well. And it's our time. I believe it's time for us to help heaven get their house party going again. I believe it's our moment to awaken the lost and the hurting to a truth that God loves them. But there's also a judgment to come. There's a judgment to come. And here's a third thing that I believe awakens souls, broken souls, and brings them into, into Christianity. Number, number three, and that is kindness. Kindness. Because look at Romans 2 says. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? It's not God's judgment that leads me to repentance. It's his kindness. How, how kind has God been to you? How kind has he been to me? How many times have I been in a dark spot going, I don't want God anymore. I'm not doing this. But he was kind patient and gentle with me when that third child of ours died in the womb I had determined right then and there I was done I wasn't going to obey him another day I wasn't going to I wasn't going to stop being a Christian because I didn't want to go to hell and I was still going to tithe because I didn't want to be broke on those two principles I trusted in but I wasn't going to do nothing else I wasn't going to go church I wasn't going to love on people I wasn't going to be nice I was done and he was so kind to me. He just massaged that bitterness that had gotten in my heart. Bitterness towards him. wasn't towards nobody else. I was like, how can you be a God that lets this happen to me? When I have sought you and, I, and I've, I've lived for you and I've ministered to all these knotheads. I was ministering to hundreds and hundreds of young people at the time. And it was, whew, it was tough times. 
Ministering to young people is tough. Actually, it's not them that's a problem. It's their parents many times. That's why they're a problem. And so it, it was just a difficult season of my life. And then our babies are dying. And I just, but God was so gracious to me. So kind to Jamie and I. He didn't throw me out. He didn't give me tit for tat. He didn't say, you're going to say that? Well, I'm going to do this. You're going to do that? I'm going to do this. He didn't do that. He was just gracious. And he took it until where my heart was open. And he began to massage that out of me. And I wouldn't be your pastor today had he not. His kindness led me to repentance. Do you think that your nephew's going to get saved because you keep trying to force down his throat how wicked he is? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Kindness. You can be kind and be truthful and loving. It's his kindness. Last year, I came across this TED Talk. I, uh, you know, I try once a week or so to watch a TED Talk or something. I, just, I, I love hearing leadership and, and people's uh, opinions, even outside of just Christians. I try to study uh, wise leaders and, uh, and, of course, to study the Word of God. But I came across this TED Talk by a guy by the name of Daryl Davis somewhere last year. It blew my mind. Daryl Davis was this, is, is this accomplished um, musician. He's a blues uh, musician, and he, and he plays in clubs and stuff all over the United States and makes a really good living out. He's a really good musician. But he opened up his TED Talk, and he had this cabinet on the stage, which most people don't. They just stand there and talk. You know what I'm talking about with TED Talks. And he opens the cabinet. He pulls out a KKK Grand Wizard robe. And he goes, do you want to know how I got this? And I was like, yes, I do. I leaned into the video. And he said, uh, he said, well, he said, I had this thing in my mind. I wanted to know where did this hate come from in a hate group like the KKK? As an African-American man, I wanted to know. He said, so I set an appointment with the Grand Wizard of the KKK in Maryland where he was from. He said, and the man finally took an appointment with me, came with a bodyguard, and we sat at a hotel, and we just talked. He said, and we established a friendship. He said, I started being kind to him. And even though he had all this rhetoric, I just was nice to him. He goes, and so I started going to his KKK rallies. I'm leaning in on this video. I'm like, I am not. Things are blowing up <laughs> in the church. I don't care. I'm leaning in. I'm watching. Actually, I was watching it at home one night. And, uh, and then he goes, and then he started coming to my concerts. He said, and he started saying things like, this black man is a better friend than all you white people. Daryl was, was telling this. And I'm looking at this thing, watching this thing. He said, I just kept being kind to him. I kept being nice to him. Till one day he sat there and said, Daryl, I've been wrong my whole life. He said, I'm getting out of this thing. This is a hate group. He said, you're the right guy. You're the real deal. And I want to be friends with you. And I'm so sorry that I've been this person. Turn this man's life around. They have now together gotten over 200 people out of this hate group called the KKK. They have been able to deliver them, if you will, because of one man's kindness. When did we think as Christians that kindness was no longer valuable to the Father? When did we think that getting involved in everybody else's argument and being violent and angry was somehow going to solve the world's issues. It was his kindness that led us to repentance. It was his goodness towards us. Daryl, I couldn't believe, I don't even know if the man's a believer. I just was blown away. Daryl Davis says, sir, you got to go look it up. Not right now because I'm preaching, but another time you should go look it up. Blew my mind. It was unbelievable. 
I believe it's time that you and I give heaven something to throw a party about. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. What if, what if, what if you took your social media platform and instead of reposting everybody else's anger stuff, what if you took your social media platform and you began to share God's kindness to a lost and dying world? What if, what if you, what if you begin to share love and truth in such a kind way that people begin to respond and say, I, I, my goodness, I, I don't even know anything about this. Wow, would you tell me more about what happened in, in your life? And that leads me to my fourth and final point, and that is what causes people to turn around from wickedness to life is your story. Number four, your story. The book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 1, Revelation is an ap apocalyptic uh, writing. Uh, John the Revelator is seeing the end of the world and what's to come. He has this open vision for hours, and he begins to write it down. So I would challenge you, if you're a new Christian, don't start reading the book of Revelation. Don't do that. Don't start that. Uh, in fact, I challenge people a lot of times. I mean, it's an awesome book, uh, phenomenal, but it's, it's apocalyptic writing. So it's symbolism and all these things. And here's this man having an open vision. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago having an open vision and trying to explain uh, Apache uh, helicopters? Think about that for a little bit. Or nuclear weapons. And so he's trying to explain what he's seeing. He's using imagery and things like that. But look what he says in chapter 12, verse 11. It says, but they, talking about the believers, in difficult in the end times, they overcame talking about Lucifer, Satan, the great dragon. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, our relationship with Jesus Christ, our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. You have a testimony. You have a story. They say, you know, I'm not a preacher. I didn't go to Bible school. I don't know much about the Bible. Look at me. Forget all that. You have a story. You have a, you have a testimony. Listen, you're not the judge, you're not the court reporter, you're not the defendant, you're not the plaintiff, you're the person who's been called in to testify. All I know, sir, I was sitting there in my car at the red light, and they came through, and that car hit that car. I can't tell you if he was drunk, I don't know. All I know is I was sitting there, and this is what I saw, this is what I experienced. When, they, when Jesus healed that guy, they, they, they were all mad about it, and they asked him, who did this? They said, they got Jesus, and he said, do you want to be his follower too? And they like, got mad at him, because the Pharisees and Sadducees he's trying to find some way and he says all I know the man said to him all I know is once I was blind and now I see I can't talk doctrine to you I can't tell you how he did it all I know is once I was blind and now I see friend you have a story all of us have a story all I know this is what I know I can only tell you what I know I used to live like this and God has changed my life all I know is I used to hate people and now I don't all I know is every time I read my Bible something awakens inside of me and I feel like I got purpose and reason in my life all I know is that were my grandparents not become Christian and then my parents wouldn't have been Christian I wouldn't be a Christian and we'd be living this way. Frank, can I tell you, all of us have a story. All of us have a testimony. And I get so frustrated. I, young people especially, young adults, hear me in this. I, I get this all the time. And these people, you know, you get to thinking, well, I don't really have much of a story because, you know, I didn't really live wicked. My parents were Christian. My own kids have had to struggle with this, you know. And I have to always tell them, listen, the greatest story is not standing there going, listen to me, people. I used to do all the drugs I could do, have all the sex I could have, and I mean, I was just crazy messed up, and then God saved my life. That story is no greater than the one who says, all my days I served God since I was a young person, and he used me to change the world around me. I, I saw his good. What's better, that he pulled you out of the ditch, or he kept you from going in the ditch? Which story is better? There's still the great story. Every one of us have a story that causes us to reach only who we can reach. My story cannot reach everybody. Your story cannot reach everybody, but your story can reach somebody. And when you're not reaching the somebody with your story, people are not being reached in general. 
And heaven is sitting there wondering, do we get a party today? I don't know. She still won't tell her story. He's still caught up in the rhetoric. I don't know. I wish they would tell their story because they're the key. They're the key right now. Can you imagine? Think about your favorite football team or favorite sports team, and you're hoping they call that play because you know that play will work against this team. And you're sitting there, call that play. Do you realize you're that play for somebody's life? Do you realize you're that play that is the, that is the winning touchdown to win the game play? You're that play for somebody. In 2015, I remember when this happened in Atlanta, Georgia. There was a violent crime committed by a young man who was coming into court. His name was Brian Nichols in Atlanta, Georgia. And he, he wrestled the gun away from the deputy, killed the deputy, he killed the judge. And then as he's escaping, um, he killed a federal agent. And, um, and so there was this massive manhunt for this man, Brian Nichols, in 2015. Well, that made, you know, national news. It was happening in real time. At the same time, something was happening with a young lady named Ashley Davis. uh, Excuse me, Ashley Smith. Ashley Smith. Ashley Smith's husband, just a couple years earlier, had been murdered right in front of her. Ashley um, had a a child, and um, and so she was now a single parent. As she tells her story at that time, she was struggling with drugs. She was trying to get her life right, as she called it. So she started going to church. Her church was doing a series about, called Purpose Driven. They were reading the book called Purpose Driven Life. And so she took the, the book home. And she said she was still struggling with drugs. And she came home one night. She went to the store one night at 2.30 in the morning during this whole episode with this manhunt for this young man. As she's coming back to her apartment, this young man snuck up behind her and at gunpoint brought her inside and tied her up with all intentions of killing her. Here she is, not quite there yet, as a magnificent Christian, still struggling, but trying to give herself completely to the Lord. He's still working some things out. And so as he, she recognized him right away because he's, he's all over the news media. And, um, and so, so he ties her up and he plans on killing her. But he lets her talk. And so she says, do you mind if I read my Bible during this time? And he says, no, go ahead. And so he unties her, lets her get her Bible, and she gets her book, Purpose Driven. And she starts reading the Bible. She sets it down. She starts reading Purpose Driven Life. And as she's reading, he goes, what you reading? She says, well, this pastor wrote a book about how no matter what happens in our life, God always has a plan and a purpose for us. And he goes, I don't have a plan and a purpose. I'm a dead man walking. I've done too much, especially this last thing. I'm a dead man walking. Now, Ashley, again, a gal who's doing drugs. Her child has been taken away from her. She's hoping to go get that child the next morning uh, to have her visiting time with him. Her husband's been murdered. And here this guy is. He's got her at gunpoint in her own home. And she doesn't know if she's going to live or die. And she begins to share with him. She said, I don't believe that. I believe we all have purpose. I believe that God can take anything wicked that we've done and turn it to good. I believe that you can make something good out of this, something terrible that you've done. He goes, I can't. I killed these people. And she began to share her story. A man killed my husband right in front of me. That's probably why I'm struggling so bad. And those families are hurting right now that you, that you killed. But you can do something about it. You can turn yourself in. 
He, goes, he said, I just want something to eat. I just, I just want to watch TV for a little bit. He, it's interesting how, what, what this man wanted. But Ashley kept reading Purpose Driven, and she out loud to him. And the more she read it to him, the more he realized, wait a minute, wait a minute. God can still use my life. And he began to share. I grew up in church. My mama took me to church as a kid. And I got away from God. And now I've done these heinous crimes. Do you think God can do anything with me? And Ashley shared with him, what if God could use you in prison to help some other men who are going to die and spend eternity in hell? If you don't get your life right now, then you'll spend that time there. So as the story goes on, she was able to um, engage with him, pray with him, talk Jesus with him, pray with him talk Jesus with him. Now, this is a girl who's still struggling with her own faith. This is a girl who's struggling with drugs. This is a girl who doesn't have, who's watched her husband be murdered. This is a girl who's had her child taken away from her for right now by CPS because of her drug addiction. And God is using her to change this man's life. He ended up surrendering to the federal agents. He was not shot. He didn't have a shootout like he was planning. He lived and survived. And as I understand it, went to prison, has multiple life sentences, and is ministering to other men, seeing their souls saved from the pit of hell. What if, what if your story has the power to reach someone, but since you're never telling it or never using it? In fact, while they sat there, he began to weep because he said, of all the people that I could have picked to take and go into their, into their apartment or their house, God led me to you because he knew you would share your story, which would change my heart. And yes, I want God in my life. What if, what if your story is the very story that, that someone needs to change their life? Why do we hold back our story? Why, why, are we so, why are we so caught up in everybody else's stuff that we don't tell our story? I believe that heaven is sitting on the edge of their seat waiting for the lost to be saved. And I believe the key component to that is your story. What do you have to tell? What has God brought you through? What have you experienced? What do you know to be true? How has he been kind and gracious to you? How have others hurt you and yet you've forgiven them? How have you loved when others haven't loved you back? And what confidence do you have at the end of this world while you'll spend eternity? What strength do you have only because he's given it to you? What peace do you put your head on your pillow at night? So you may have forgotten, but before you were a Christian, you didn't have that peace. I'm going to tell you right now, but you didn't know who was out to get you. And you lived every day trying to survive. But when Jesus came into our life and the Holy Spirit came to live inside of us, the peace that surpasses all understanding began to guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. You have a story. You may not think it's much, but it's perfect for somebody. It's the play that needs to be called to see that sinner turn back to Christ. Why do we hold that back right now? Because the enemy has tricked us to do so. It's time. It's time to share our stories. You have a platform. You have influence with people. Whether it be face-to-face, -face, whether it be online, you have influence. It's time to share your story. Would you share? Hey, guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. 
You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. You can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to P.O. Box 3815, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.